October. Pumpkins are coming in from the field. And the local coffee shop just announced that it's pumpkin spice season. Now, my local coffee shop has better pumpkin spice lattes than yours. Because they make their pumpkin spice lattes with real spices and real pumpkin. And then they put that delicious pumpkin spice syrup into the cup. And they make fresh espresso and pour it over so it melts into the syrup. And then they add the freshly steamed milk. And they top it all off with a cinnamon pumpkin shape on top of the latte foam. And you know why it's better than the one you can get from the multinational corporation? Because it has real pumpkin and it's not just a bunch of sugar syrup and flavoring. Pumpkin spice, pumpkin season. Let's talk pumpkins. Welcome to the Real Time Roots podcast. I'm your host, Christy L, and this is my co-host who is enthralled with pumpkin spice, Sarah. Hi, everyone. At Joy Believe, we help you grow your own food and remedies so that you can create health and wellness and fun for your family naturally. So today we're going to talk about, you probably guessed it, pumpkins, pumpkin spice, and winter squash. So let's get started. So pumpkins and winter squash um, have a long history in North America and a much shorter history in the rest of the world. Pumpkins and winter squash are pretty much the same fruit. And in North America, we call anything that's orange skinned and kind of round a pumpkin. And we call other winter squash, winter squash. But if you live in England or Australia, you might call a but- what we call a butternut squash, which is more of a... Slightly... Um, elongated? Well, it's slightly elongated. I would classify a typical butternut squash as slightly closer to a dumbbell shape. A dumbbell shape. Okay. Um, you would call that a pumpkin. So winter squash are called pumpkins in different areas of the world. But in North America, we refer to a pumpkin as something that's orange. But note that they are both winter squash. And in South Africa, they have white pumpkins. Pretty cool. That are called pumpkins. So in Europe, in the old country, they had cucumbers and they had gourds and they had melons, melons, but they did not have squash. Squash is a North American plant. The First Nations people or the North America or the American Aboriginals, we in Canada, we call them the First Nations. They had a trinity of crops that were sacred to them called the Three Sisters. And the squash is one of those three sisters. The other two are beans and corn or maize. And so the squash or the winter squash was a sacred plant. It originated in basically the warmer areas of America. So Central America, Mexico, the southern part of the United States, the northern part of South America. And the interesting thing is we have basically four varieties of cucurbits is the botanical name today, and they don't cross-pollinate easily. And the reason we have four kinds is because they came from four different areas originally 
in, um, you know, uh, Mexico, southern United States, Central America, and the northern part of South America. And what happened is when the Spaniards came to that area, they took seeds for the squash back and then they started growing those in Europe. And particularly in France and Spain and Portugal, they really specialized in interbreeding these squashes and coming up with different varieties. So today we have a lot of heritage squash that originated in France or Spain or Portugal, but in reality, they originated in North America, and those heritage seeds now have come back to us. So you'll find that the heritage is actually only from the 1800s, so only about 200 years ago, compared to other things that might have thousands of year history. And once it came to Portugal, the Portuguese actually took those seeds, and they took it around the Cape of Good Hope to Asia. And so China and Japan and Korea also have their own squash. And those squashes are a little bit different because they selected for different things than they did in Europe. So the squashes in Japan and China are smaller. And in fact, during Chinese New Year, the squash is one of the foods that they eat because it brings good luck. So Because of that, now there are winter squash all around the world, and each area has their own specialty. Now, here where we live in Canada, we have a much shorter growing season, so there aren't a lot of squashes that will actually mature here compared to, say, Central America or Mexico. But some of our special ones are pumpkins. Pumpkins generally need a shorter growing season, about 100 to 110 days. Depending on the pumpkin, there are some um, Cucurbita maxima varieties that are the giant pumpkins you might have heard of. And those ones require a much longer growing season than your average, say, jack-o'-lantern pumpkin or pie pumpkin. That's right. And we can talk in a minute about the giant pumpkins because they're a specialty all to themselves. Um, But what I wanted to talk about was... Um, how nutritious pumpkins are and why you might want to, if you're not already eating a lot of pumpkin, maybe the only time you ever have pumpkin is you buy a can of pumpkin in the store, you make one pumpkin pie for Thanksgiving, and then you never see pumpkin on your table again for the rest of the year. We're hoping that after you listen to this episode, that you will start to incorporate pumpkin more and more into your cooking, into your family meals, because one, it's a nutritious seasonal plant, two, it's cheap, and three, it's highly nutritious and easy to store. So let's dig a little bit into these um, these ideas. So it's very nutritious. Pumpkins and winter squash are in season right now. So you're going to be able to, you'll probably find them in your grocery store, and they're pretty cheap compared to what they are in January. Um, I know Costco has them. I know that you can also find them at the farmer's market. Or you could find them at a pick pumpkin patch. And that's a great place to go. If you go to your local farm, um, you're going to get the best price at the local farm than you will even at the farmer's market. And it can be a fun family adventure too. And I absolutely recommend that you take your kids with you when you go get your squash and let them be part of it and help you pick out the ones they want. Because then they might be more excited about eating it because... Pumpkin and winter squash are high in carotenoids, the precursors to vitamin A, and they are also super high in other antioxidants like rutin. They're high in fiber, 
and they even support your respiratory system, your blood sugar control. They can help keep your blood sugar in control, and they can even kill and remove parasites from the body, which is great for humans, and even for our four-footed fuzzy companions known as puppies. Pumpkin is great for dogs, actually. As Sarah mentioned, they help with killing and removing parasites. There's not a lot of foods that we have that we can use to kill, um, especially tapeworms, and to remove them. And that's because of the, the great fiber that's in pumpkin. And there's actually something in the pumpkin that um, paralyzes the parasites. So they let go of their hold of the intestinal lining and then the fiber pulls them out. But there's also something more that kills tapeworms that's in the pumpkins, um, the pumpkin flesh and the pumpkin seed. So when you're giving them to your pets, you want to give them the whole pumpkin. You want to give them the pumpkin flesh, but also the seeds. And they can even eat the stringy part that us humans don't like. Now, when you're looking for the best pumpkin, you want a pumpkin that is not a stringy pumpkin. So we're not talking about spaghetti squash. Spaghetti squash is actually a summer squash, even though you'll find them for sale at the same time as pumpkins. And they can be stored for a couple of months. Um, but what we're talking about is squash that has the very dense orange flesh. That's the best to get. And there's a lot of sugar, so it's fairly sweet. But because of the fiber, it it's, helps you control your blood sugar. It doesn't spike your blood sugar. Some winter squash species include butternut squash, kabota squash. Acorn squash. Blue Hubbard. Delicata. Cinderella pumpkin. Uh, New England pie pumpkin. And you can also find some smaller decorative pumpkins that can still be used for food, like Jack B. Little. And there's also some small white pumpkins that are, well, most frequently used for decorating. They could still be cut open and used for stuffed squash or maybe as a cute squash to help get your kids interested in trying pumpkin for the first time. Now, if you want, want to try your hand at growing your own, you need to have about 100 to 110 frost-free days. And then you want to pick, if you pick um, just one type of cucurbit maxima and one type of curcubit pepo, then you'll be able to save your seed and it won't be cross-pollinated. So then you'll be able to grow, once you've done it once, you'll be able to grow out that squash every single year. So you can save your own seed and you can plant. Now, if you're buying from a farm, most likely they're using hybridized seed. So if you're buying it at a store or you're buying it from the farm, you don't wanna save that seed and plant it. Well, you can, it'll grow something, but it may not grow the plant that you're expecting. But it could be a fun experiment because sometimes the best growing pumpkins you end up with are the ones from the compost pile. So let's talk about how you use it. If you're new to using winter squash or pumpkin, there's a wide variety of ways you can use it in the kitchen. And hopefully some of the things we suggest are going to excite your imagination. Because pumpkins can be used sweet, savory, and of course, as we already mentioned, in drinks. So first of all, Let's talk about that pumpkin spice latte. Well, most of the spice in pumpkin spice latte comes from cinnamon, ginger, and nutmeg. And you combine the spices, sugar, and a couple tablespoons of pumpkin puree, and you can make your own latte syrup. So, so a syrup is a simple syrup, and it basically has equal parts of sugar and water. 
and then the other parts, every syrup is like this, and then the other parts will be the spice and the pumpkin. We suggest this is not a shelf-stable syrup, so we suggest you make it fresh every week or two. Don't make so much that it's going to go moldy in your fridge. And if you don't think you'll use up the quantity you made, see so you made one or two cups, and you don't think you'll use it up within two weeks, you can always pour some of it into ice cube trays and freeze it, and then just use a single ice cube for your drink. Excellent idea. Now that's just one way that you can use pumpkin. Um, but a pumpkin is going to give you, just the average pumpkin is probably going to give you 12 to 15 cups of pumpkin puree to use. So another great way of using it is in pie. Which happens to have the same spices in it as your pumpkin spice latte. You can make a pumpkin pie, you can make a pumpkin cheesecake, you can even use pumpkin in baking, and you can make pumpkin cookies, pumpkin cake, especially... Pumpkin pudding? Pumpkin bunt cake is really delicious, and the pumpkin adds a lot of moisture to the batter. You can make pumpkin pancakes, pumpkin muffins, pumpkin waffles... There's a lot of ways in baking that you can use pumpkin. Another great way is pumpkin soup. And pumpkin soup, it uses curry spices. So if you have garam masala, you can just use that and maybe a little bit of cumin and a little bit of turmeric and have a delicious, smooth soup. And what I like to do is use like a, a chicken stock or a bone broth and then cook my pumpkin cubes in that and then puree with a stick blender and make a nice thick soup and then add my spices after. I've actually been baking my pumpkins and squash whole and then uh, cutting up the flesh and removing the seeds and the skin. That would make them more sweet because the sugars are caramelized in the oven. It gives me less chance of breaking my knives. Ah, that's a good point. We don't want to break our knives with, you know, especially some squash like Hubbard squash, the skin can be very hard and it can be hard to cut into. Hubbard squash, you almost want to take the hatchet to them. Uh, some of the Hubbard squash now aren't as big. They used to, Hubbard squash used to be like a giant pumpkin. Like you'd have to have a neighborhood party to break up a Hubbard squash. Now the Hubbard squash, though, is much more manageable and they're usually only 10 or 15 pounds. You still need a hatchet to open them. Another great way to use squash, and this is my favorite way for something like a butternut squash, is to slice slice the squash thinly and layer it with apples and onions in a casserole dish and then put some ghee over top of it and a little bit of cinnamon and bake it. Um, it's delicious and it's a vegetable dish. Pumpkins and squash are really a seasonal food and the price goes up like it starts now and it's right now I'm paying a dollar a pound in Canadian dollars for a squash or a pumpkin. But as we get into the winter, the price will gradually go up until they're $2, $3 a pound, especially around Christmas. They can be fairly pricey because everybody wants to get one to make a pumpkin pie. And the way you you counteract that increase in price is to buy them in season and to store them. Now, the nice thing about it is they pretty much will store anywhere that you can keep the temperature around 50 degrees. So that could be a cold storage room, a unheated bedroom, the coldest closet in the house, or in my case, the cupboard next to the kitchen sink that is against two outside walls and for some reason has a nice cold breeze coming out of it all winter long. That's a great place to store. However, you do not want to store it on your 
unheated, uninsulated porch, in an unheated, uninsulated outside room, or in an unheated sun porch. Anywhere it might freeze, that's not a great place to store it. You want to protect it from freezing, but keep it cold. But even if your only spot is on your kitchen counter, squash can still stay good until January or February, even if it's not in an ideal temperature. And if you have an ideal temperature, you can even keep that squash cold and good until May. I have had squash last till May. So how do we preserve it? Well, there's a number of ways that we can preserve it. One is, as we mentioned already, you can you can cold storage it. You can put it in a root cellar. You can put it in anywhere that you can keep the temperature around 50 degrees. But there's other ways as well that we can preserve squash. You can dehydrate squash and winter squash. Usually you would just put, turn it into slices or cubes. If you're like me and prefer baking your squash before you deal with it, then you could just dry it as puree on reusable silicon mats, similar to how you would dry applesauce, and basically turn it into pumpkin leather that you crumble up and then reconstitute later. Or powder. You can powder it in a blender then. Well, the blending's an extra step. Um, a great thing you can do with that then, though, is you can add it to smoothies, you can add it to soups, you can add it to stews, you can even use it as a thickener. So it's very versatile in that way. Um, you can also just freeze it. If you have room in your freezer, you can cook it up, um, puree it or cube it, and then put it in serving size bags. I like to do that if I'm making, if I'm putting aside some squash for like pies or for baking. I'll put it in two cup packages because that's how much my recipe calls for. And then like a double batch of cookies is two cups of pumpkin or winter squash. And then I'll just package it that way and then take that out and throw it in my bowl um, a couple hours before I want to start baking and it's ready to go. Now you can can your pumpkin, but you do not want to can it as pumpkin puree. You only want to can it as cubed pumpkin in water. And this is to make sure that the heat of the canner penetrates all the way to the center of your jar. And you have to pressure can it. You can't water bath can pumpkin unless you're pickling it. And it's not really recommended to pickle pumpkin. Um, so you, you'll want to use a pressure canner and you'll want to use at least 10 pounds pressure, or if you're at a higher elevation, 15 pounds pressure. And then pressure can it for the recommended length of time. Now, if you're into natural fermenting and lacto-fermenting, you might be tempted to try fermenting some of your pumpkin. It is not recommended to do a lacto-fermentation with pumpkin or to pickle it as it changes the texture and makes it a lot less pleasant. So stick with freezing, baking, Drying. Drying, turning it into turkey stuffing, hiding it in the chili, things like that. So speaking of hiding it in the chili, um, that is a great way to increase the amount of vegetables that your family's getting um, and also increase the flavor. Anytime you're using uh, squash, you want to slow cook it because that caramelizes the sugars, makes it sweeter. Um, and what I like to do is I like to dice, well, peel the squash, take out the guts, and then dice the squash finely, and then drop it into soup stock or chili. And what happens is as it's cooking, it will actually just disintegrate and thicken the sauce while at the same time adding all its nutrients. But your family isn't picking out pieces of squash going, oh, what's this? 
So if you have picky eaters in your family, that's a great way to have squash in their diet. You can also use it, um, as Sarah said, if, you, if you're going to bake it and you're going to have some that's pureed, it's great to make to mix in with something like hummus or another dip and use it to dip like uh, vegetables in like carrot sticks and that kind of thing. I like putting my baked squash into the chili because it blends completely in. There's no chance of chunks sneaking around. But I'm also the person who likes to grate the eggplant, zucchini, and cucumber and throw that into the chili. So now you've warned everybody that if they come to your house for chili, Sarah, that they might get a surprise because it's going to be a completely unique creation. The funnest thing I found to put in chili is actually avocado, especially if you're planning on freezing the chili. Because if you put the avocado chunks in and then freeze it, when you reheat it, the avocado has gone completely invisible and dissolved completely into the chili. Does it taste like avocado? No, it just adds a nice nutritional boost. And the chili ends up being a lot more filling. Nice. I'm sneaky. If you're just getting started thinking about using herbs to make something so that you can feel better and start to tap into the natural wellness. I've got the perfect course for you. My course, the Inspiring Botanical Drinks Mixers and Elixirs course. In this video course, you'll learn how to make healthy beverages that will help you break away from sodas and sugary drinks or plain boring water. Even if you have a two or three soda a day habit, even if the kids are home and you keep running out of ice and ideas, even if you struggle to get enough fluids in your body because of the heat, even if you are watching your macros, your carbs, or your waistline, even if you have food sensitivities or allergies, and even if the rising price of food and drink has you making tough decisions about where to cut costs. If you are making more food at home and watching your budget, but go to the same bottled beverages day in and day out, this class will inspire you to up your game in the beverage category with healthy and creative options that are also kind to your budget. So have a look at the inspiring botanical drinks, mixers and elixirs class. You'll find the link in the show notes. All right, so we have been talking about pumpkins, pumpkin spice, winter squash. What is your very favorite way to serve pumpkins or winter squash? Well, my favorite way to cook up acorn squash is to slice the top off of it, clean it out, and stuff it full of pecans, apples pieces, cinnamon, and brown sugar, and then bake it. My favorite too. I oh, love and butter. that. Don't forget the butter. Yes, I love that. It It's a vegetable that tastes like dessert. And it's super easy and fast to make too. As long as you can successfully take the top off of those darn acorn squash. Well, any small, like a two pound size squash will work for that. I like choosing ones that are a bit smaller, closer to half a pound or smaller, because I like doing them individual. Like the delicata squash. Uh Delicata squash is really, really hard to cut into. It's harder even than the acorn squash. So I prefer using acorn or one that's a similar size and shape because it's just that little bit easier to cut the top off. But yeah, I choose smaller ones. And if I know I'm going to have like tiny humans trying to eat their own one, I make sure I have an even smaller one. So there's a tip for you. If you have picky eaters in your family, 
have it on the table and demonstrate how wonderful vegetables are. So one of the best ways to incorporate winter squash and pumpkin in your family's food is to make sure you have it on hand. So we recommend that you visit a pumpkin patch while the pumpkins are still available where you are. Take your kids with you and get them to help you pick a few winter squash to take home and then get their help to get them preserved for winter. You'll be passing on some great life skills. You'll be engaging in some wonderful food and there's nothing better than making food together as a family. Remember, if you're just going to the pumpkin patch to pick out a jack-o'-lantern for Halloween, wait until the day before to cut the pumpkin. You can set it out with an LED candle in it, and then bring it in at the end of the evening before people have a chance to play smash the pumpkin on the doorstep, or the deer in my town have a chance to go yum fresh pumpkin. And then you can actually cook up your jack-o'-lantern. Tell us how to cook a jack-o'-lantern. Well, once you prep it as a jack-o'-lantern, you've already taken out the seeds and the guts. And pretty much all you would need to do is take the stem off of the top, wrap it in aluminum foil, put it on a baking tray and stick it in the oven. Uh, For how long? What temperature? I would say uh, 350 Fahrenheit for about 45 minutes to an hour. Basically, you're looking for the pumpkin to kind of collapse and, and to be soft. And you can check it with a fork to see if it's soft enough. If you're familiar with the difference between a bright orange pumpkin color and that nice autumn shirt and sweater color known as burnt pumpkin, that's the type of color shift you want between on the skin of the pumpkin when you've been baking it. So you want it to be like a burnt orange. Yeah, like a baked pumpkin. Often jack-o'-lantern pumpkins are quite stringy compared to the, the kind of squash that's sold for pies. That's okay. You can take it and put it in a blender and puree it, and you'll get that smooth texture. And And you only need to do that if you're using a jack-o'-lantern pumpkin and you find after it's baked that it's still quite stringy. If you're using winter squash and it's not stringy, you can just mash it with a fork and it will get that nice, soft, smooth, silky texture. Now, one other thing is that spaghetti squash, while they can be kept for a bit of winter storage, naturally have a very stringy flesh texture, which is why they're called spaghetti squash, because you can bake them and then scrape them out to form squash spaghetti noodles. But if the spaghetti squash cross with a different type of squash, you can actually end up with what you think is a perfectly good winter squash, being 100% spaghetti squash texture. Yeah. And in that case, shift what you're doing. It's still totally edible. It's still very nutritious. You just want to take advantage of the stringiness and use it as spaghetti squash. Or blend it into something else, like chili, where the texture won't drive you crazy. Because personally, I do not like the texture of spaghetti squash. I much prefer kabota squash. Kabota squash is nice and dense. My favorite squash right now is a, I think it's called a butterkin squash. And it's a new, it's a hybrid of a butternut and a pumpkin. And it's a very small squash that's the color of butternut with very dense orange flesh. And they're only about two or three pounds. So they're easy for, in, in my case, a family of two, one squash would be a meal. 
and they're delicious, very sweet, and they're called butterkin, I think. Very fun. One of the things about winter squash is that there are hundreds of different varieties. A lot of them are heritage, and um, it's fun if you're growing your own to try a lot of different kinds to see what your family likes best and what grows best in your particular climate. All right, so we always like to leave you with a positive action. And we've been talking about pumpkin spice, pumpkin and winter squash, why we think it's a a great value and why we think it's a great nutritional um, seasonal food that should be in everybody's larder right now and how to preserve it. And also we want to leave you with one thing that you can take action on. And today that is... Let's go to the pumpkin patch. Check out the show notes for some recipes for using pumpkins and winter squash. Or making your own pumpkin spice lattes. Including making your own pumpkin spice lattes. And thank you, Sarah, for helping me with this episode. Thank you, listeners, for listening. Remember to visit that pumpkin patch. And all this talk of pumpkins is making you want a latte. Please share this with your friends. Subscribe, like, and talk to you soon. Bye for now. Have a good day. Bye.